Welcome to the Illustrator Studio. I am Jesse Kowalski, Curator of Exhibitions at the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The Illustrator Studio is a weekly interview series, a project of the museum's Rockwell Center for American Visual Studies. In this episode of the Illustrator Studio, we welcome Ruth Sanderson, a celebrated illustrator noted mainly for her work in the realm of fantasy and fairy tales. Sanderson's artwork has appeared in more than 80 books. Her beautifully rendered paintings can be found in books such as The Enchanted Wood, The Golden Mare, The Firebird, and The Magic Ring, and The Snow Princess, which was nominated for two Chesley Awards. She began her career painting covers for the Nancy Drew series and has illustrated numerous classic fairy tales such as Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and Goldilocks. One such book, The Twelve Dancing Princesses, was the main focus of a 2013 exhibition at the Norman Rockwell Museum titled Dancing Princesses, The Fairy Tale Art of Ruth Sanderson. Ruth, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, I was very excited to include your work in the uh, in, in our summer uh, 2021 exhibition, uh, Enchanted, a History Fantasy Illustration. Um, I selected a painting of yours. Um, it's an illustration from the 1990 book, uh, The Twelve Dancing Princesses. That story is based on a German fairy tale that was published by the Brothers Grimm in uh, their second volume of fairy tales in 1815. And uh, your illustration clearly adds a lot more depth to the story. And I just wondered what, uh, what drew you to that particular fairy tale? That story was actually one of my favorite fairy tales growing up. Um, and when I decided to start retelling uh, fairy tales myself and illustrating them, uh, that was the first one that the editor and I um, jointly agreed on. And, and she, it was one of her fairy favorite tales too. Um, the thing that I did, um, I did actually add some elements from the French version into the German um, retelling. So it's not a strict retelling of Grimm. And this has kind of been my signature when I retell. I like to, to read different versions from, um, you know, usually, usually they're European from different, um, different traditions and, and, and weave my favorite elements together. So the hero in this story is the, the French young, young hero who ends up with the youngest princess um, as opposed to the German, which was an old soldier who ends up marrying the eldest princess. And I thought that um, the modern child listener would, um, would relate more to, um, to the younger characters. And, and in terms of, um, you know, the depth of the story, um, like many fairy tales, it's, it's actually a coming of age story. And the, the magical woods, which are just an amazing visual element that, I mean, that's, you know, what often appeals to me in retelling a fairy tale is to find those visual images that will all be able to really expand on and make them, make them look like they are real, like you could walk into those magical um, woods. Um, and to me, those woods um, feel like um, the transition, it's the rite of passage really from young women into, into adulthood. So that's to me what, what is symbolic of this story. And it, you know, it, give, it gives a depth to the story that, um, that I think is really important. 
And uh, as I mentioned in my opening, you've illustrated a number of uh, books based on fairy tales. Uh, what is it about fairy tales that inspires you? And what are some of your favorite fairy tales? Well, I, I did grow up spending most of my free time reading. I was kind of a shy child. And happily, um, we had in, in our bookcase at home, a copy of Grimm's fairy tales. Um, that was my father's. Um, my grandmother, his, his mother was a librarian. So I also spent a lot of time um, with her. She took care of me sometimes and babysat and I sat in the library and read books. But that, that volume of Grimm's fairy tales is just, I, and I still have it, is just, I just fell in love with them. You know, I could just fly away to a different, a different place. It, it just, you know, filled my imagination. And what really solidified my love of fairy tales was actually playing at an abandoned theme park um, when I was young, down this dirt road near my friend's house, a dead end with, right near um, the border of a state forest was an abandoned theme park. You know, I think they opened one summer and, you know, went out of business. <laughs> there was a cottage there. To me, it was a cottage of the seven dwarves. And it just, I don't just made that fairy tale come alive in me. And I've loved it all these years. And what's interesting is um, I never illustrated it. I, I, I just, I don't know, I didn't feel like I was ready to illustrate it, um, to, to bring something you know, new to it or whatever. Um, and interestingly enough, um, I've been working for quite a few years on a young adult retelling of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And it's called A Dwarf's Tale, which is interesting because the cottage of, you know, I'm more interested in the dwarves than I am in Snow White, <laughs> although I have to, you know, obviously make it a, a good story about her too. But um, my story is called A Dwarf's Tale. So I'm very excited. It's almost finished. So we shall see where it goes. So a year after The Twelve Dancing Princesses came out, you wrote and illustrated uh, The Enchanted Wood. And regarding that book, you noted uh, this story grew out of uh, your love of the woods. And the number of your works and even a section of your website is devoted to forests. So could you tell me how your fascination with forests and the woods began? Hmm. I've always loved trees um, and I've always loved the woods. Um, you know, when I wasn't reading, I was playing in the woods, you know, at that abandoned theme park and other places in the woods, you know, Massachusetts, um, you know, is like full of great woods and trails and, um, you know, rock formations. You know, we played in, on this big rock we called Cat Rock. I'm not sure why it was called Cat Rock, but um, yeah. And I just have always um, loved the woods, loved old gnarled trees. Uh, and to me, uh, you know, as an adult um, looking at the symbolism, um, you know, the woods are a wild place. Uh, and even here in Massachusetts, there are, you know, fox, deer, turkeys, fishers, coyotes, bears, bobcats, wolves, you know, so many animals that you never see. And there's that aspect of wildness that appeals to me, but at the same time, I feel safe when walking in the woods because obviously the animals aren't, aren't gonna come and search me out except I just saw a sign on Mount Tom where I, I can walk there from my house um, saying beware of rattle, 
rattlesnakes, <laughs> but they don't want to, they don't want to be near us either. So I'm hoping I never meet one. Um, but yeah, I've always loved, always loved the woods and trail riding. My love of horses probably inspired me to become, um, become an artist. I started drawing them wish fulfillment, couldn't have a horse. So I drew them. Finally, my parents um, gave in when I was a teenager and I spent my teenage years riding in the woods with my friends at every opportunity. So, um, so the woods can be light filled. You know, I love riding or walking in the late afternoon when the, the sun, the slanting sun sort of hits the trees with golden light. It's just, it's transcendent. Um, but then the woods can be dark. You can get lost in the woods. You know, there's, there's just so much symbolism there that, you know, as human beings, you know, it's just, you know, a, a gold mine of, of, of symbolism. Uh, so what is your process for creating a painting from start to finish? First, it's up here. It's probably most artists. Um, and and I, I'm fortunate, I sort of, I sort of imagine in living color, you know, I, I, I see it in my mind. I see the image. And usually I'll do a just a little thumbnail picture, you know, very small, like two by four inches. In full value though, um, you know, notice it, in all my paintings, um, you see the effect of light. You know, maybe that comes from my love of the woods and seeing the light hitting, hitting trees and wanting to reproduce that. So, um, you know, I've always loved, you know, artists that work in that way and chiaroscuro, you know, where the, you know, everything is lit in a very dramatic way. So when I do thumbnails, um, I always pick where the light's coming from. Sometimes I'll do a little sun on the corner and then uh, draw it in full value, even when it's this little. So I can then, as I expand and do a, a larger sketch, try to keep that initial sense of, of the light um, in the picture. And after that, if there are people, which usually there are, um, you know, for all my books, um, I find models and costumes and do photo shoots, you know, set the lights up where, you know, so it's dramatic. And, uh, and then I do a final, a final drawing. But again, I, I usually have that little, that very small little thumbnail near me so that I don't lose my initial idea about where the lights and darks are going to be in the picture. And then I yeah. do the painting. <laughs> How long does that take you? Oh gosh. Well, the one that's hanging in the show, the 12 princesses in the, in the golden wood, um, I believe that took five weeks wow. to paint that one picture, but I have painted illustrations in three days. So it, Anywhere from three days to five weeks, really. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the size, the complexity, um, the style. You know, occasionally I'll work in a in a slightly more painterly style. Um, my version of Cinderella. I was actually studying an artist, um, a fine artist who who paints beautifully. You know, kind kind of a little more alla prima, and I was trying to to really. Um, uh, paint that it, not in the, not with the tiniest brushes I have, um, but a, a little more painterly. Um, 
and uh, and then the reviewer said that it, it wasn't up to my usual standard. So <laughs> what do they know? <laughs> it's like, no, it's painterly. It's supposed to be like that. <sighs> so, who are some of the artists that have inspired your work? Oh gosh. Well, I started coming to to um, the Norman Rockwell um, Museum when it was the little white house in the center of um, center of Stockbridge. Um, I believe in art school. And, you know, always just my jaw always drops and always has, even though he's not painting fairy tales, obviously, but um, he's painting imaginary, well, idealized worlds, isn't he? Um, and, and that was a great chapter in, in the book um, that I believe Stephanie Plunkett wrote about how um, while his paintings aren't strictly fantasy, they they are idealized versions of, you know, of, of what we could be. And in a way, that's in a way what, what, what I'm trying to achieve too is sort of like the, you know, the ideal of, of trying to reach humanity's highest ideal. It's like, you know, we should try to be good people. Mm -hmm. That's kind of basically it. And, and we should appreciate beauty as well. So besides Rockwell, you know, I love the, you know, the, um, the Hudson River School landscape painters. You know, I just always go to museums and go right to <laughs> the landscape section. Um, you know, I love the Russian, some Russian artists that are landscape painters. I love the Dutch landscape painters. Um, the English Pre-Raphaelites um, actually did do a lot of um, fairy tale. Sure. Uh, painting and I love their style and I I've always loved the academic um, style of art and uh, just gravitate toward who's ever good um, you know and 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 just so many contemporary artists as well but I, I tend a little bit to look back at the um, you know at the older artists mm -hmm. and and fine artists uh, so I, I first met you at the Luxcon conference a few years ago, and I was uh, very familiar with your work at the time, but I'd never actually met you. Um, so when I first came up to you, you were so welcoming and you were so excited to meet me and talk about fantasy. Uh, so I just wondered, after so many years and so many books and so much work that you've done, uh, what keeps you motivated? That's a difficult question to answer. Um, I guess it's just that. I'm an, I was born an artist and I was born wanting to draw and paint and convey, you know, my love of the beauty of the world, my love of the mystery of the world. To me, fantasy is about, it's a little about, you know, mystery and in fantasy, in so-called fantasy or imaginative realism as some people call it. Um, you know, you can, you can convey, um, you know, things that are symbolic. Um, I love painting the green man, you know, who's a, like an ancient symbol of the spirit of life. You know, it's just, there are things that, you know, have always interested me and I can't imagine not being interested in the mystery of life and trying to con convey my feeling about that um, until I can't see anymore or, my hand doesn't move. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So many of your books pertain to specific times in history. Uh, how exact are you in replicating the look and feel of the time periods when you're designing the works? Well, um, for many of the fairy tales, I'm, I'm sort of setting, you know, I've, I've got a library of books on costume. So, you know, often I'll, I'll pick more or less a, a, an era. I really like the 15th century. Um, that was what the 12 princesses uh, was based on. And I'm lucky that um, I connected with a customer who's also very, very versed in, you know, in the authenticity and mm -hmm. studied the history of costume. So she actually created um, the costumes for that book. You know, I wouldn't have known there were like, you know, 10 different kinds of headgear that <laughs> people wore in the 15th century. So that the princesses don't all have the little conical hats that you think of, you know, yeah. princesses in history wearing. Um, so, so yeah, so, but I'm not absolutely slavish about it. Um, you know, this is fantasy, it's fairy tale. So, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's gonna go, you know, checking in the, in their <laughs> costume book to see whether I got every detail correct. But, but I try to be in the ballpark. A large section of your website is devoted to images of Christmas. So I wondered, what are your favorite memories of, of Christmas growing up? We lived, I lived in the same house um, with my folks for 18 years um, before I went off to college. So, you know, our big, we had a big living room and I remember where the tree was and I don't know, we, and there were, I had a brother and sister. Um, and yeah, I just remember happy times being, you know, being with them. And, you know, my mom always made um, turkey as at Christmas as well as at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I loved, uh, I loved her cooking and um, the smells of, uh, she made steam pudding, which, you know, has a rich, rich aroma. You know, I could, I could smell it now. So, so yeah, um, just, just happy times with my family when I was growing up. And what, what's Christmas today like in the Sanderson household? Um, well, we, we, we actually often spend it um, with my sister um, and she'll make the big meal because <laughs> um, we like to be off the hook for, for making big meals and <laughs> my husband's a better cook than I am. So um, he usually cooks and he's glad to give her the, <laughs> give her the reins. Um, yeah, I, I do a little decorating, not too, too much. Um, actually illustrated um, and continue to illustrate a series of um, big collector hol holiday plates for Lenox, China, and a, a Christmas theme. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a scene of a covered bridge or what have you, but um, I'll decorate with them on our mantle. And I have a very, very small tree on a very tiny table. So the cats can't knock it over. <laughs> when we used to have a larger tree, um, yeah, they'd just rip it down. So, so unfortunately I can't do a big tree. And now, now this year with um, our grandchild lives very close by um, and we enjoyed the first Christmas with a, with a, a child, a very young child for the first time. And I look forward 
to many more. Um, yeah, it was really enchanting. That's great. <laughs> I noticed your your background is done in Scratchboard. Uh, in recent years, you've been using the Scratchboard technique more and more. It seems. Uh, could you describe to listeners uh, how how Scratchboard works are created? The way I do Scratchboard is um, usually to um, purchase a pre-inked board. Um, so this is a um, a piece of um, most masonite or hardboard coated with white clay. And then they spray it with a number of coats of India ink. And then you take tools um, such as my favorite tool, the number 11 X-Acto knife, um, you transfer a drawing. Um, and I just use um, black um, transfer paper, um, graphite transfer paper, put my drawing on top um, and, and trace my drawing um, onto the board. And graphite actually shows up lighter than the blackboard. So I can just tilt the picture and, and see the lines. And then based on the sketch that I've done, um, which shows like the light and dark areas and my reference pictures, you know, if it's a model or sometimes I'll have a stack of different background references for backgrounds. And then, you know, I just laboriously start um, taking away the light areas. Um, which to me feels completely natural because if you've been listening to how I think, I think in values, I think in the effect of light on things. So it's natural to me to draw where the light areas are. Um, whereas some people, you know, just scratch words not for them, they wanna draw outlines and I, I don't do that. And if you make a mistake, how, how difficult is it to, uh, to fix it? Easy, India ink. You really? just ink, ink the thing back in and scratch it back out. Um, the nice thing about these boards, um, which are made by a company called Ampersand, is that the white clay underneath um, is very thick. So, you know, once you scratch away, you're just scratching to, a, you know, a white surface. And then you can take like a pen or a brush um, I have lots of little pens. In fact, the, you know, if you want detailed um, like tree branches against a white sky, you just can scratch away completely to white and then draw the branches back in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of scratchboard is the process of scratching and inking and scratching and inking. And you can cross hatch back in mm -hmm. with, um, with the pen. So it's really quite, um, you know, quite forgiving. Early in your career, you illustrated the covers for several books uh, in two teen mystery series, uh, Nancy Drew and the Bobsy Twins. Uh, were you a fan of those books growing up? And how did your covers, did your covers at all update the, the, the stories for a new generation or, or did you try to uh, keep them more like the original? Well, I did read Nancy Drew. Um, I tended to prefer, you know, fantasy, fairy tales, horse stories. But my sister had lots of Nancy Drew books. And interestingly, she's still a, um, a reader of mysteries, um, her favorite genre. Um, but I read all, all her Nancy Drews um, growing up. So, and I was a fan, I, I, I liked them a lot. Um, one thing you um, might not realize is that the stories I illustrated um, were actually continuation of the series. 
they were newly written. Um, oh. It was a, um, a case of the, um, it was a new company taking over the series um, and they were working with the Stratemeyer Syndicate who owned um, you know, the rights to it. Mm-hmm. So they were given the rights to continue writing the series. And so the, the stories I was working on were all new and they wanted Nancy to have you know, a slightly more current, um, current look, sort of current, but timeless. So I worked, um, I worked very hard to try to, you know, give them um, the look they wanted. Since 2009, you've illustrated a series of 16 books titled Horse Diaries, uh, some of which have been uh, written by your daughter, uh, Whitney. Uh, What attracted you to the series? And uh, how is it uh, working with your daughter? Well, going back to my love of horses, um, I illustrated the Black Stallion covers for Random House back in the late 1970s. And over the years, had they'd asked me to do um, a number of different horse books. So I, I actually did quite a few, you know, sort of standalone or series of two um, horse stories for them. And then in, oh gosh, I'm not sure what year it was. Um, well, it's hasn't been quite 16, um, maybe about 10 years ago, um, they offered me the Horse Diaries series, which was written by, uh, I think at that time, four, they had signed up four different writers to write the series, and they had the first, I believe, four books planned. And at that time, I, my daughter Whitney was a, a budding writer and a very good, you know, very good writer, and I asked them if they you know, be willing to look at, um, you know, another writer for the series. And happily they were, they loved her work and she became um, one of the authors in the series. And I believe she might've written the most books, more books in the series than any of the other writers. Mm -hmm. Um, They did ask her to write, um, to write a number of five, five titles in all, but it was fun. It was fun. And, our own horses um, got to pose for some of the books in the series. So oh, wow. that especially, um, that was especially nice. Um, until the 1970s, with some notable exceptions, uh, illustration has been a field largely dominated by men. Uh, I was wondering if you found it at all difficult to break into the field and maintain a career in illustration. And have you experienced any kind of discrimination in your career? Oh yeah. So I, I um, it's interesting you say the 70s because that's when I went to art school. And let's see, I, I believe it was early in my final year of art school. I, you know, I had a portfolio, you know, this, that, and the other thing in it. Um, you know, the typical art school samples. Um, well, they weren't horrible, but you know, they weren't great. Um, and I didn't know at that time what, what area of illustration I, I wanted to go into. I just wanted to try to earn a living as an illustrator. Um, <clears throat> so I made an appointment with two advertising agencies, um, both art directors basically told me home, to go home and get married that I didn't have enough talent to work in the field. But so I went home, I, you know, I didn't give up or get married yet, but um, 
I got mad and said, you know, I'm going to prove that I'm worthy <laughs> to be in this field. And I just started working harder and harder. Um, and then the illustrator, Mark English, who was, was a very well-known um, editorial illustrator, um, came and gave um, a talk at the art school I was in and um, gave a contest. And um, Don Mates and I won like first and runner up. He actually won and I got yeah. sort of runner up, but I got a call one day from, it, the Dean got a call from Mark English one day asking to speak with me. And he asked me if I wanted to come work for him. So I did that for um, about the first six months after, after art school and kind of learned that technique. And then I started getting work on my own, but, um, but I also had been contacted or had seen a children's book agent and realized that I really actually liked um, illustrating things, uh, illustrating stories um, more than just, you know, doing an editorial piece or an advertising piece. I, I liked um, narrative illustration. So when she started getting me work, um, I was very happy to to enter into the, the children's book field, which is actually dominated by women. So in that field, I had no problem at all. Most of the art directors were women, <laughs> the editors are women, most of the artists are women, um, you know, with some exceptions, but um, but I think um, there are plenty of women in that field. So really there there's not a lot of discrimination. Well, that's all the time we have, Ruth. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, for more information, check out Ruth Sanderson's website, goldenwoodstudio.com, and our own websites, nrm.org, illustrationhistory.org, and visit the Rockwell Center for American Visual Studies at rockwell-center.org. As always, don't forget to subscribe to be notified for the latest content. This has been a production of the Norman Rockwell Museum. To watch the video of this podcast or to see the images referenced in this episode, please visit nrm.org podcast. New episodes from the Illustrator Studio are released every Monday. For questions or comments, please email us at podcast at nrm.org.